the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. A couple of days ago, may have been late last week, our eldest brought home a reader that had all sorts of facts about Ben Franklin in it. I learned a few things that I didn't know about one of our founding fathers. But in the midst of that, in about the middle of the book, was a section on Poor Richard's Almanac and all of those maxims of Ben Franklin. And as she read through them, um, she had lots of questions like, what does it mean that fish and visitors both stink after three days? (laughs) And is it true that an apple a day keeps the doctor away? Finally, we hit one that when she read took me back to fifth grade, sitting in a desk, staring at those silver ballet flats that that teacher wore and paced the classroom in day after day, and she was fond of the same maxim every day that she'd say to us, children, there's only one thing or two things you can be certain of in life, death and taxes. And as I thought about that, as we were reading that last week and thinking about today, how many things can we truly be certain of? What could you add to that list? Perhaps a few years ago, we might have said, well, it's with certainty I'll see another human face in the course of my day. Or if I go to the store, I'll have what I need. Um, If nothing else, over the past couple years, we've learned that there are fewer things that are certain in this life, as though we needed any further reminder toward that end. And this evening, among all of the portions of Scripture that you've heard, so many are so rich. What I'd like to do is just zero in on two verses and five words of Jesus that are perhaps the most succinct and certain words that point out the nature of the human heart and the remedy for it in what Jesus did for us this day. Those two verses, if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, are in John chapter 16, or 19, excuse me, uh, beginning in verse 28, or you can follow along on the screen if you'd like. It opens after this. That's a big recap. After this, after Pilate flogged Jesus, after the soldiers fashioned a crown of thorn upon his head, after Jesus was mocked and spit upon, after he was brought out to the pavement seat and judged with false witnesses, after the crowds cried, crucify him, after he left town and was asked to carry his cross, falling several times along the way, after Simon of Cyrene was enrolled to help make the final leg of the race to that place outside the city known as Golgotha, after Jesus is nailed to the cross, after Jesus looks down on his disciples, after Jesus looks at his mother, after The soldiers divide up his garments and cast lots. After all this, Jesus, knowing that it was all fulfilled and now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. That scripture, as you know, comes from Psalm 69, and it is fulfilled a verse later um, in verse 29. 
When I was thirsty, they gave me sour wine to drink. But those words are more than just Jesus calling to mind a scripture that he must fulfill down to the final moment. It's much more than that. In many ways, it it points to the nature of the human heart, does it not? We all thirst for certain things. And here in this moment, um, Jesus, quite poignantly, um, is given so symbolically this sour wine nearby that's dipped in a sponge on a hyssop branch, and the imagery there is just so rich. The last time we recall a hyssop branch when you think of last night in Exodus 12 and the Passover, as the hyssop branches once then pressed into the blood of the sacrificial lamb and cast over the doorsteps, or doorpost, excuse me, of the Israelites so that the angel of death might pass over them. Here it's pressed to the sacrificial lamb, Jesus. What's his lips for yet one more statement? But before we get there, let's think about that. I thirst. What are the things that we thirst for? I contend that among the certainties of this life, one thing that is certain for is that the human heart thirsts for any number of things. Sometimes it's thirsting for belonging. Sometimes it's thirsting quite literally. Sometimes it's thirsting for a place and a purpose in this world. We can thirst for so much. And what do we use to assuage our thirst? We go to so many places, so many wells, literally and figuratively, to try to quench our thirst. And sometimes our thirst is in light of events around us, just to see things set right. We thirst with longing that things wouldn't be the way they are, and that God would set things right. And in those moments, like Jesus, we thirst for the things that God thirsts for for this world in Jesus. And Jesus, fulfilling all things, even in that statement, I thirst, is pointing to this perfect longing, this perfect longing for everything to be complete. Not just because of his profound agony, while it includes that, but because he longs for that gap to be closed. And so, he says these words, and, and so we lean in, and in the final words of Jesus, a verse later, it reaches its resolution. His parched lips are quenched for just a brief moment, his parched throat so that he can utter three last words, it is finished. And then he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. It is finished. There's no more certain words I'd contend that have ever been spoken in all of creation than those. It is finished. Even when we don't see it, it is finished. But as Hebrews reminds us, um, Jesus in this act, it is finished. Only Jesus could give up his spirit. Think about that. Death could not do that. Death had no hold over Jesus. Only Jesus could offer up his spirit. Behold, I've come to do your will. You heard that read in Hebrews. And so in this moment, Jesus does away with the first order 
the sacrifices that could never completely atone for even the sins of even the ones who offer them. But now they do for all time. One perfect, complete moment. And yet, in the midst of it, it doesn't look complete. It doesn't look finished. Jesus hanging on the cross, speaking these words, it looks like it's all but finished. And sometimes it looks like that in our lives and in the world around us. But these three words are a perfect completion, not only to Jesus' life and ministry, but from that point down through the ages, so that as we walk through life, as we see things in our hearts and our lives in ways that they should not be or we do not want them to be, or in the world around us when we see it on the news, and we think anything but it is finished, we can press into those words and remember that God's promises are always true. And when spoken in the Word incarnate, Jesus Christ, we can trust that that is true, even though we don't yet see it. And so when we're in those moments where we wonder and we wait, what do we do? I'd offer a little advice uh, from Hebrews. There's a few reminders therein. First, to remind ourselves that it is finished, let us draw near with a true heart. Let us draw near with a true heart. A reminder that that's not something that we can muster in ourselves, but um, on this night, because it's finished in Jesus, like the words of Jeremiah that those hearken to, Jesus then, as we come to him in faith, gives us a new heart and writes his law and his words upon them. And because of that, we can come with a full assurance of faith. There's nothing more perfect and complete, the knowing that because Jesus said it is finished, it is so, and we can with faith come to him. And that as we come to him in faith and through the waters of baptism, our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That we can lay down those habits, those hang-ups, those things that haunt our minds in the silence of our hearts. And we can trust that Jesus has sprinkled those clean because it is finished if we would but come and lay those down at the foot of the cross. And then, and then this is what keeps us oriented. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And let us consider in worship to gather together, to stir one another on to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another every time that we do. That's the purpose of the household of the faith, is it not? Growing in love and good works. But also noting that it's an inside-out job as God does that work on our hearts. And as we do so, when times are tough, when times are easy, when times are wonderful and when times are woeful, we remind each other and spur one another on with the words of Jesus this night that it is finished. We need to remind each other because the world around us um, and our own lives and hearts can draw us this way and that. And as we'll pray in a few moments in the solemn collects for those to be baptized and we think ahead to Sunday and our profession of our own baptismal vows, we're reminded that it's there 
that we renounce, we turn away from the deadly deceits and empty promises of this life. And so we need to remind ourselves and remind one another toward that end. When we can't see it, we need to look to one another and remind them of those three words of Jesus that it is finished. And so we press on. And so we carry on. And so we contend for the faith in our own lives and in those around us. So that as we do so, like Jesus, we have eyes of faith to behold at times what we cannot see. But with that full assurance of faith, we hold on to those three words of Jesus that it is finished. And we continue to pray for his will to be done on earth as it is already done in heaven this day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.